God is good? And all the time? Are you excited to be here today? Is God good? He is good, isn't he? I knew I'd confuse you by saying it that way. But I'm thankful to be here today, and I want to invite you to find your way to Philippians chapter number two. If you are new here today, welcome this morning. My name is as John, and I am blessed to serve as the pastor here and, and uh, thankful for you uh, choosing to be here today. We are in uh, week two of our series entitled Joy to the World. And as we think about this season, Christmas season, of course, everything's supposed to be bright and merry, as Soya already mentioned. Um, but the reality is, that Christmas season is one of the most depressing seasons for people. More people are discouraged. There's more suicides at Christmas season than any other season. And I wonder if it's not because our natural tendency, our natural default setting for all of us as people is to try to find joy in things or in people or in circumstances. And the reality is that there is no joy outside of Jesus. And so that's pretty much the summary of the whole next couple of weeks, all right? And so if you don't have a takeaway, there it is. And that's what we started last week. We talked about finding joy. And we looked in Philippians chapter number one. I'll just give you a quick review in case you weren't here with us. We looked at three truths in finding joy. Joy found in Philippians chapter 1. The first was that you are not your own. Like you don't belong to yourself. Uh, in, in the very first verse of Philippians 1, Paul said, Me and Timothy, we are bondservants. We are slaves to Christ. And Paul would later say, You were bought at a price. You, therefore, you are not your own. So glorify God with your body. And the price that you were purchased as a follower of Jesus was the blood of Jesus that Jesus paid for you. So you have a greater cause to live for. It's not about you. I know you don't want to hear that today. Christmas is not about you and all your gifts, okay? It's about Jesus. You're not your own. That's the first truth in order to find joy. The second truth we looked at is God is working in you. You are not complete yet. Like, I'm still a work in progress. Do you guys agree with that? I'm still a work in progress? I knew you guys would be eager for that. My wife reminds me that often. Philippians 1.6, Paul said, Be confident of this thing, that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, he will, he will complete it. But we're not complete yet. God is working in us. I'm thankful that he's not fed up with me. Because I, I probably should, you know, I mean, he should be fed up with me, right? But he still works in me. And then the, the, the third truth we looked at last week was in verse 12 of chapter 1, where Paul said that I'm thankful for the chains or being in prison because more people have found Jesus. In other words, God is working through you. I'm thankful that I'm not my own. It's up to God. He's in control. And if you'll, if you'll rest in that reality, that truth, it, it kind of brings some joy in your life. I'm a work in progress. God is working in me so that he can work through me. And I just kind of thought of a couple statements I want to give you this morning in regards to that. Here is one of them. Your mess can become his message. We have a tendency to make a mess of things, don't we? But the good thing is, is that God can turn my mess 
into his message. The other one is this, that your past pain can become your present platform. Your past pain can become your present platform. In other words, God doesn't want to waste a hurt. And God wants, again, he's working in you so that he can work through you so that he can be glorified. The, the third, third statement I, I wrote down was this. God didn't just save you from something, but he also saved you for something. Again, all of these three statements pretty much say the same thing, that God, that you're not your own, that God's working in you, and that God wants to work through you. And that's how we can, we can find joy. Last week, I gave you the illustration, if you weren't here, about the eggnog and that when you fill it, when you bump the glass, what's in the glass will come out of the glass, right? And the Lord wants you as a follower of Jesus to be filled with joy. And what that means is that when life bumps us, and life does bump us sometimes, doesn't it? That when, when uh, what is in us is spilled out of us, if we are filled with joy, people will see Jesus in us. And so that's that's the goal. So finding joy. All right, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to walk through this, uh, really the first 18 verses this morning. But the first word of the first verse of Philippians 2, does anybody know what the first word is? Therefore. Now, do you know the rule when you see a therefore? What's the rule? You've got to look and see what it's there for, Right? So what is it there for? And let's look. Now, this morning, um, you guys ever have those moments where you just, like it hits you, you're not young anymore? You guys ever, your laughter says, yes, that's awesome. I, I feel comfortable in the room today. I, I had one of those moments today. It, just, it was like this moment of clarity. It wasn't good clarity, but it was clarity. And, and it, wasn't with my, it wasn't the clarity of my eyes. But anyways, clarity. That was this, so I look at myself, and I've, I've got a sweater vest on. <laughs> you know who I think of? Mr. Rogers. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You guys see it, too. And I said that to my son in between services, and he said, yeah, and your dad also has one on. I was like, oh. <laughs> Strike one. You're old, all right? The second reality I, I woke up to this morning was I covered my plants last night because it was going to freeze. <laughs> that, and then the third reality is I got some reading glasses. <laughs> All right? So three strikes, you're old. That's basically what I was thinking. Now, the truth is, in full transparency, transparency, I have carried... Uh, not these specifically, but reading glasses with me for at least two months. I've been, I've like stashed them in my pocket just in case. Um, I can't read up here. And then I had them once like hiding behind my Bible once. Um, and then last week, um, the joy of my life, my wife named Joy, she told me, you need to put those glasses on because you messed up all these words last week. <laughs> so she's got hers out, right? We're growing old together. Very good. All right, so therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? Look at verse 29 of chapter number 1. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. 
And, and so there's three things I want to point out before we move into our text, okay? So Paul is, again, the theme, Paul is writing this book from prison. He's writing to the church at Philippi. Most scholars would say this was written in around 61 AD. Ten years prior to that, Paul had, by the call of God, that many would call the Macedonian call, you can read in Acts chapter 16, that Paul had went to this place. He met this, this lady named Lydia. She gave her life to Christ. All her family gave her life to Christ. Then he got put in jail because everyone was giving their life to Christ. And then there was an earthquake happened. Then the jailer gave his life to Christ and his family gave their life to Christ. And then they started a church. And so Paul is writing to that group of believers, a church in Philippi, and he's writing with the purpose of wanting to encourage them. One thing we see he's trying to encourage them is to be unified. He's encouraging them because they're generous. And what theme that kind of jumps out of the book is you see like 16 different times you'll see the word joy or rejoice. And so last week when we talk about finding joy, we realize that joy is only really in, in Christ, right? But Paul gives us three advantages before we get into our text today in these two verses of finding and choosing joy. The first advantage we see in verse 29 is that you have Jesus. Again, he's talking to followers of Jesus. So today, if you're in the room, you've given your life to Christ, you've placed your hope of eternity and heaven and salvation, not in your works, but by grace through faith. If that's you, what Paul is telling you today is that you have an advantage of finding and choosing joy because you have Jesus in you. John would later write in, in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Like Jesus, the power of the resurrection resides in you as a follower of Jesus. That's a pretty big deal. Now here's the reality as we kind of walk through all these things. Joy is found in a person. I'll put it this way, like could spell the word, no Jesus, no joy. Like let's spell that N-O. N-O Jesus, N-O joy. But if we add a couple letters to that statement, we could say K-N-O-W Jesus, K-N-O-W joy. The reality is you can't have joy without Jesus. You have to have Jesus, so there's an underlining assumption here. You have an advantage. You can choose joy even when life is difficult. Paul is choosing joy even in the middle of prison because he has an advantage. He has Jesus. The second advantage, in my opinion, doesn't seem like an advantage at all. But the second advantage is this. You have suffering. That's what he said in verse 29. Hey, you have suffering. That's an advantage to choose joy with. That doesn't make sense, right? But what did James write in James chapter 1 and verse 2 and 3? Count it all. What's the word? Count it all joy when you find yourself in trouble and various trials. Because the testing of your faith produces patience. Again, the goal as a follower of Jesus is to be more like Christ. And so suffering can lead to my advantage because it's going to make me more like Christ. Christ, right? We're going to move past that one because we don't really want to talk about suffering, right? The third advantage, he says in verse 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. The third advantage is you have company. Like we're all in this together. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't intend for my Christian life to be lived out in isolation. 
I'm thankful it's a team sport. Because here's the truth. Sometimes I don't feel very joyful. And you can help me feel joyful. And sometimes I think you probably don't feel very joyful. And maybe I could help you be joyful. To remind you, hey, you have Jesus. And Jesus equals joy. Choose it, find it, serve him. Now, this is why at, at Hallmark, you know, our, our mission is that we want to lead people to find and follow Jesus. But when we think of in like process, how does that work? You can think of it like in concentric circles, right? That we're trying to move people from the crowd into community so they can become the core. Now, where do we believe is the best place for you as a member of Hallmark to find community? We think it's in connect groups. Uh, Soya mentioned connect groups. We are always going to try to push you from this crowd into a connect group so that you can find community. Because you need each other. We need you. You need us. It's a, it's a partnership, right? That you become a part of the body of Christ. You become a part of a faith family or a faith community. And Paul is just acknowledging, hey, he's speaking to the church. Listen, listen, you guys are in this together. So live in unity. Choose joy. All right, let's get into our text this morning. We're going to, for sake of time, we're not going to read the entire chapter, but we're going to read through verse 18. So I'm going to invite you, if you are able, to stand with me, okay? So Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 2, excuse me, 1 through 18. Since we've already seen, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things, you may want to skip this part, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Could you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the blessing, the honor, the privilege to read your word, I pray that you would speak to us as we walk through this text, Lord, that we would 
Find and choose joy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So there's four questions we see really quickly out of the gate in verse number one. Okay, so again, the, the understanding here is that you are a follower of Christ. The audience that Paul is writing to, they're followers of Christ. And he asks four rhetorical questions. In other words, he knows what the answer is. They know what the answer is, but he still asks the question. The first question he asks is, is there any consolation in Christ? And so what he's asking is, is there any encouragement in Christ? You see that theme all throughout the book here. He says the word in Christ. It's about Christ. Joy is only in Christ. So let me ask you the question this morning. Is there, you can respond, is there encouragement in Christ? Isn't that great? God in us, the hope of the world, Jesus Christ, the power of the resurrection, Paul wants us to know is in you. The next question he asks him is, is there any comfort of love? In other words, is there comfort in knowing that God loves you? Let me ask you the question. Is there comfort in knowing God loves you? Like, that's why one of the most memorized verses is for God. So what is it? We also understand that he demonstrated his love toward us, that while we're yet sinners, he, he died for us. So is it comforting to know that God loves you? It is, isn't it? The, the next question he asks is, is there any fellowship of the Spirit? Do you, do you sense the Spirit in your life at times? Is there fellowship with the Spirit? Is there fellowship in the church with the Spirit? Yeah, he is. There is. So the Holy Spirit fellowships with me as I open up his word. The Holy Spirit fellowships me when I drive down the road and put on a worship song and sing and praise. Sometimes you got to pull over because you're crying, right? Anybody had that experience? And the Spirit inside of me. You know, I get that same sense when I'm around another believer. And that's like corporate worship this morning is so powerful. Because when I see and I experience and I hear you worshiping how good God is. Great are you, Lord. Is there fellowship in the Spirit? Yes, there is. The next question he asks then, is there any affection and mercy? In, in other words, have you ever experienced the grace and the mercy and the tenderness and the long-sufferingness of Christ? Have you experienced that? Are you thankful that God is merciful, that he's long-suffering, that he's gracious that he's kind, that he's good, that his mercies are new every month? Justine, if you're listening, I'm glad it's not like the monthly paycheck. It's got to, oh, we got to make this last. You remember those days of like January 27th? Oh, it's a long month. His mercies are new every what? Morning. Great is his faithfulness. That's what the Bible tells us. Have you experienced the mercy of God? Have you experienced the mercy of God? So Paul, he's, he's getting the same response, I believe, from the church there as we are today. Yes, yes, 
Yes, yes, I'm thankful and I've experienced and I understand that there's comfort in God's love, that there is encouragement knowing Christ is in me, knowing that there's fellowship of the Spirit in me and the fellowship of the Spirit around me and in his church and knowing that I've experienced his mercy and his grace and his kindness and his goodness and his supply and his protection and his power. And then Paul says, I think there's an implication here. Since you have experienced all these things, yes, 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 what should our response to those be? Oh man, shouldn't we want to share that? Jimmy thinks so. Shouldn't we want to share that? Yeah. The goodness of God is not meant to be contained. It's supposed to get out. It's not supposed to be contained to the walls of this church, is it? You know, there's thousands of people within a mile of this church that don't know Jesus. And we sit in here this morning, man, it's encouraging. Yes, there's comfort in God's love. There's encouragement in Christ and the spirit that unites us. And and I've experienced his mercy and grace and love. And Paul is saying, oh, if that's true, man, it should lead you to action. And there's some implications of that as we walk through the the text. Let's let's just kind of read through it slowly this morning. Since we've all answered yes this morning, then Paul would say, well, fulfill my joy. You want to make me happy? You want to make me joyful? As uh, Paul writing to this church that he started 10 years prior, you want to make me happy and joyful and like rejoice in Christ? He says, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Unity. Paul is saying to the church, boy, if you want to make me joyful as a leader, I would love to see this church unified. Because The church of Philippi is like every other church. There's always a little tension or this or that. That's that's normal. That's life. That's what happens. And Paul is saying, you want me to be filled with joy? You want your church to be filled with the Spirit of God? You want your church to be joy-filled? Live in unity. And what what does that look like? Well, he goes on to kind of define that. Let nothing be done, verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. And if we're going to be real honest this morning, that's not normal. It's not my default setting to think of you first. I know you guys got all like judgy eyes at me today. But if you were honest, your default setting is not to think of others first. Our default setting, all of us, our default setting is think of me, myself, and I. And Paul is saying, listen, if you've answered yes to these questions, there's some responsibility for you now as a follower of Christ. That you need to live in unity, that you need to have one mind, you need to think of others before yourself, that Jesus must be first and others then. Like, that's what Jesus answered the question, right? The greatest commandment. What did Jesus say? Love God first, love others second. But it's going to take an attitude change. Now, 
I don't even like the word attitude because I don't know how many times as a middle school student I heard that word. And, you know, it was always like, you have such a great attitude, John. It was something like that. That's what I remember. <laughs> Not true. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearances of men, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. What's the attitude that we have to have? Humility. If we're going to really find joy and put others first, I'm going to humble myself. Isn't Jesus the greatest example? These verses here, verses 6 through 11, um, the early church uh, made these verses uh, a hymn. Okay? And so I asked this question at first, I'm asking this in, in this service as well. How many of you would like me to sing this hymn for you this morning? Like four people. How many of you definitely don't want me to sing the hymn for you this morning? Hey, I'm going to choose not to sing the hymn because the the, the passage is about humility. I'm such a good singer. It would be hard for me to be humble after that, so not really. I, I can't sing it for you because I, I don't know what the tune is, all right? Uh, there's, nobody knows what the tune is. Maybe somebody does. It's not me. But there's two stanzas. We read the first one, verses 6 through 8. It's the humiliation of Christ, that Christ willingly humbled himself. And we think about this Christmas season, the first advent, the first coming of Christ. Now, Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. Jesus was God, has always been God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We talked about a couple weeks ago, he is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. The King of kings, Lord of lords, humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Not only did he humble himself and become on the form of a man, he humbled himself and became in the form of a baby. Like it's one thing to come as a 33-year-old man, but he came the most humble way. And I wonder, as we see what Paul is saying, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, the attitude of humility, I wonder if, and I'm going to personalize this for me, maybe you should do the same. I wonder what it would look like if I loved like Christ loved, if I served like Christ served, if I gave like Christ gave, if I sacrificed like Jesus sacrificed. I wonder what a church would look like if the church would love give, sacrifice, serve, and humble themselves like Christ did. So the, the, the humiliation of Christ. Here's a thought this morning. In order for us or any church to have unity and community, there has to be humility. In order for there to be unity and community, there has to be humility that I'm going to put others' needs before my own. C.S. Lewis said, Humility is not thinking of yourself, of less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. 
And let's, I'll be honest with you this morning, that's not easy. That's not easy. Because I want it the way I want it because that's the way I want it. Don't ask me why. That's just the way it is. Humility. Verses 9 through 11 then are uh, the, ex- the exaltation of Christ. It's like the second part of the song. Therefore, uh, God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus first humbled himself, and then what did God do? God exalted him. And Jesus is our example to live in humility. Others first. Now, I want to point two things out real quick before we move on. Really two theological truths that we find in this text. The first is this, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Okay, that he was both. We, we, we read that in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Again, it says he, or the Word, but it doesn't give a name to the Word, does it? But in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so Jesus, fully God, fully man, and he came, humbled himself so that he could be the sacrifice for us to have forgiveness of sins, to have a home in heaven. All right, so Jesus was God and man. The the second theological truth I just want to point out real quick. So some people will have, there's some false teaching based on this passage of Scripture. One of those false teaching is that, as we read that, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Some have interpreted that to mean that at the end, everyone's going to be saved because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now, this is going to happen. I believe this is going to happen. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But what's missing in this text, in this picture, is there is no element, no expression of faith. What we read in Scripture is that we, for by grace you are, what is it? Saved. So grace is what saves us. It's the grace of God. It's not of my works. It's not because I'm good. It's not because I give in the offering. It's not because I have perfect church attendance. By grace you are saved. What is the vehicle that gets me to his grace? It's faith. And there's no faith for these people as they stand in the presence of Christ. They see him. It's faith. And what we see in the text here is these people who have not given their life to Christ. So here's the deal. If you don't give your life to Jesus on, in this life, you will one day bow and confess. But what you will hear Jesus say is, depart from me, I never knew you. And you will spend an eternity in a place called hell paying for your sins. I know that sounds really heavy today. But the flip side of that is really good. For by grace you are saved through faith. 
It's a gift of God. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus, Jesus, his own words, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one gets to the Father except through Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus. Call on the name of Jesus. And it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this morning, if you've never done that, can I encourage you at the close of the service, we're going we're gonna to have a song of worship. I'm going to be right down here. If you want to ask me about it, I would love to show you. At the close of the service, I'm going to be right there in the foyer. I would love to take a few minutes and show you if you'd like to know how to give your life to Jesus. If you know anyone in the church that probably invited you, they would love to share with you how you can know Jesus. So I just want to point out those two truths in this scripture that some people have twisted a little bit. Let's go back to our text, verse number 12. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Verse 14, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom... So we're talking about a lot of humility today, aren't we? That I'm going to surrender my desire and my plans and my will. Why? If you're like me, you've got to answer the question, why would I do that? Because it's not my default setting. Why would I surrender? Why would I submit? Why would I humble myself? Because I don't want to. But why would I? Look, look what it says there. It says in, in verse 15, you shine as lights in the world. Why do we submit to one another? So that those who don't know Jesus will have an opportunity to find and follow Jesus. And then Paul goes on to talk about it. I have surrendered my life so that other people could find Jesus. I'm going to give you two recipes in closing this morning, all right? I love recipes. You guys like good recipes? Like, how many of you are on Pinterest? Are you looking at recipes all the time, all right? I, I don't, but I enjoy the fruits of my wife looking at that. The first recipe is a recipe for misery. If you want to be miserable, here's a recipe. I don't have it on the screen because we do it normally anyways. That is playing the comparison game. Comparing what I have or who I am, what I don't have, comparing. Being selfish. Selfish. And again, it's kind of a default setting of mine. Selfish. Another recipe for misery is living for the approval of others. Paul said he lived for the approval of one. And who was that one? Jesus, the only one who can actually give me joy. Let me give you the recipe for joy then. I'm sure you've heard it before. Jesus, others, then yourself. Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We see it over and over in Philippians 1 and Philippians 2. Put others before yourself. 
Now, we can think of this in, you know, like Jesus first, others second, yourself last. What I want you to think about this morning in this idea of yourself is this, that you're going to surrender yourself. I don't believe you can find true happiness and joy apart from Jesus. And I don't think you can find happiness in Jesus or joy in Jesus unless you act like Jesus. You're going to live in humility and you're going to surrender. God, Jesus, you're enough for me. Over and over in these four chapters, Paul continually says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, Christ in me. If we're going to live a joy-filled life, we're going to have to surrender and acknowledge, you know what? Jesus first. I'm going to surrender to him. I want you to close your eyes for a moment this morning as the band makes their way. We're going to sing a song that speaks directly to this. It's one of my favorite songs and simply says this, Christ is enough. And so what I want to do this morning is normally, you know, I invite you to stand. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to stand right now. In a moment, we're going to sing. And if you want to stand when we sing, great. If you want to just sit at your pew and just pray and seek the Lord, if you want to come to the altar and just say, so kind of here's the action step, I think, this morning. is I'm just going to live a life of surrender. That every single day I'm going to get up because if I'm left to my own default settings, I'm not going to choose or find joy. I'm going to self-serve. So this morning, maybe it's a reminder. Hey, I'm going to live in Christ. And Christ is enough for me. I'm going to find my joy, my happiness, my purpose in joy in Jesus.